Is this thing on? Okay, good. Hello, welcome to Love Alexi. My name's Alexi Wasser. I'm your host. This is my podcast. And my guest today is the brilliant and hilarious genius writer, producer, creator, Sam Bain. Uh, Sam is known for Peep Show, uh, the most hilarious show uh, I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm currently binge watching it. Thank you very much. He's known for Four Lions, Babylon, Smack the Pony, The Queen's Nose, Ill Behavior, Bad Sugar, and so much more. He wrote a book. It's called Yours Truly, Pierre Stone. He wrote a play called The Retreat, and he has two movies in pre-production coming out. Uh, One is called The Stand-In, starring Drew Barrymore, and the other is Corporate Animals, starring Sharon Stone. And you know what? Who knows what else Sam Bain is up to? Uh, Maybe we all would have found out uh, had I asked him. But instead, because Sam is British, I felt I had complete permission to talk to Sam about the British guy I'm dating. I was like, you know what? I got this genius on my couch. I could ask him anything. I could pick his brain. I could learn from him. I could be inspired by him. I could have him inspire all my listeners uh, with everything he's done, everything he knows. But instead, I was like, you know what? Um, Sam's British. The guy I'm dating's British. I'm just going to let loose and have some girl talk on this couch today and, uh, you know, ask Sam uh, what he thinks about the guy I'm dating. And give me some pointers. They're both British. I'm sure they're exactly the same. Uh, So that's exactly what happened. Um, No, but really, uh, you will notice. If you've listened to this podcast before, uh, you you will notice that I talk more about the person I'm dating than I think I ever have. I really do. Uh, And I was like, God, why, why did I do that? What was in the air that I felt? I mean, a few days after I did this podcast, uh, I went on my first, my very first trip with this guy I'm dating. Uh, we, we're calling him Derek on this podcast. That's codenamed Derek. His name is not really Derek. Uh, but Derek and I went away to Two Bunch Palms in Palm Springs or Desert Hot Springs or what have you. And uh, it's official, guys. I have a boyfriend. I have a boyfriend. It's very exciting. And I think that's what was eating me alive. I've been dating codename Derek for nearly three months, you know, a little over two and a half months. And I was like, oh my God, when's it going to happen? I don't get this. I was almost borderline furious. I was kind of like, wait, everything's going beautifully. It's completely magical. We're taking our time. We're getting to know each other. We're laying a foundation. Uh, we're, We're just, we're having a blast together. This is better than everything else all the time. I know it. I know he knows it. So what is the fucking deal? Why am I not his girlfriend? And uh, I know I'm not alone in this. If I sound like a nutcase to you, then you have no empathy and you're lying to yourself that you've not been in this kind of situation. Or I don't know what's wrong with you. You're a robot with no feelings or heart. But here's the deal. Other people who can relate, male or female, whoever you are, you know what I'm talking about when you're like having a good time but it's just eating away at you. You're like, wait, and your ego gets involved and you're like, what the fuck? Like now I can't be happy that everything's going great because there's one missing piece and I don't know why it's missing. But anyway, had I just relaxed and surrendered and trusted codenamed Derek to be the romantic that he is, uh, you know, I would have not had, uh, you know, been internally suffering as much as I was because everything worked out in the most magnetic, what? Uh, magnificent way. I had the most romantic trip ever. I'd never been to Two Bunch Palms. I've heard about it. 
There's an intense lure about Two Bunch Pumps. Everybody says it's great. I wanted to know what they're talking about, and it did not disappoint. I wish I could say that today's episode was sponsored by Two Bunch Pumps, but it is not. But in my heart, it is. Anyway, so yeah. Yeah, everybody. I am a girlfriend. I have a boyfriend. I feel pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm very excited. Uh, what else can I say? I shouldn't say much. I'm trying to kind of keep things to myself. But if you want to, yeah, that's impossible. If you want to read any of the stuff that I've written about this weird new romantic journey I've gone on, and nothing about it is weird, um, it's just unique and special. I've been writing about it. Uh, I have a column on ravishly.com. And a while ago, I had a woman named Lacey Phillips on this podcast. She has a company, a website called freeandnative.com. And she was my guest in January. She's a manifestation advisor. She is a self-help guru. And she has all these workshops on her website. And I did all of her workshops. After I met with her, I talked to her for three hours. It's a fantastic episode. Definitely check that out if any of this is interesting to you. And I think it should be. It's pretty interesting to me. It's been a life changer. Anyway, so I did all of her workshops uh, and I and I did a partnership workshop, you know, where you're, you know, to help you manifest your perfect partner. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I wasn't really, I was just really trying to just do a lot of internal work and look at myself and, and see what's going on in my subconscious and kind of, anyway. But I did the partnership romance workshop and it forces you to really look at your habits and who you've chosen for yourself in the past and why you've made those decisions and what you want for yourself and what you have to offer. And, and, uh, and then at the end of it, it's like, you know, throw yourself out into the world and that maybe that even means get on a dating app. And I was like, oh my God, I've already been on Raya and Raya is like this, you know, ridiculously silly, but fun uh, I call it Illuminati Tinder, um, or the Soho house of dating apps. I've been on that, you know, I've, I've met people, I've had little like stints, romantic stints that didn't go anywhere, but you know, whatever. Um, and so at the end of these workshops, uh, this workshop, it said, you know, maybe even get on Tinder. Why not get on Tinder? So I was like, oh my God, this is really happening. Am I going to get on Tinder? So I got on Tinder and I went on my first Tinder date about three months ago. And that first Tinder date was with the guy uh, who is now my boyfriend. 6'4". I mean, not that that's the most important thing. That's so fucked up. Anyway, tall, dark, and handsome, treats me beautifully, uh, is such an... an an unfamiliar and yet familiar feeling. I can't even explain it. It's like a whole new type of man I'm dating and, you know, for the better, like anyway. And, uh, it's a really, really refreshing, exciting thing. So anyway, I don't want to gush too much cause I, that's all I do during this podcast, but, uh, it's been a beautiful week. That's why I'm getting my podcast out a little bit late cause I was on a trip and I left my my laptop and my recorder and all this equipment that I do you need for my podcast. I left that at home because I was trying to be in the moment and just relax and be present with this person. And, uh, and so here we are. So, uh, yeah, you guys, I'm taken hands off everybody. How dare you? Um, anyway, but I'm going to say all the, uh, oh my God, I'm completely giddy. Okay. Um, yikes. 
is it possible for this good feeling to last forever? Because I would like it to. Um, anyway, so now, now that we've gotten, oh my God, there's like a motorcycle going by. Is it Derek? Just kidding. So now I'm going to say all the classic things that one must say in the intro of a podcast. If you like this podcast, if you like the Love Alexi podcast, and I hope you do, subscribe on iTunes, rate the show, leave a comment. Uh, if you want to advertise on the Love Alexi podcast, send an email to dearlovealexi at gmail.com. In fact, if anybody wants to send any kind of email, send it to dearlovealexi at gmail.com. I definitely think we should be friends on Instagram and Twitter at Alexi Wasser. I love DMing with strangers. I I'm addicted to Insta storying, uh, so I really think we should uh, meet up over at uh, on Instagram. That'd be great. Also, if you want to support the show, uh, this is an independent show. Uh, so if you're not advertising on it and you still want to support the show, I would absolutely love that. And how do you do that? You go to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Alexi, and any donation is appreciated. No matter how big, no matter how small, I have a lot of uh, things I try to put on my Patreon page. I'll try to update it more, but the main point of that is if you like the show and you want to support the arts and something that makes you happy or entertains you, patreon.com forward slash Alexi is the place to support the show. I also want to say, if you are a woman, a girl, a lady who lives in Los Angeles and you will be here in Los Angeles this Saturday, June 2nd, I would like to invite you to a party I'm throwing called Girls Night In. Uh, it is $20. There's going to be pizza, beer, a present for all the girls who attend. Uh, and the whole point of the night is to build community, share your stories, make new friends, mix and mingle with other like-minded, cool, badass girls. Uh, if you're new to LA, it's just an opportunity for women to get together and feel less alone, have a good time and make new friends. And if that sounds like something fun to you, I would love to meet you in person and see you there. And if you want to get your ticket, uh, do that by Venmoing $20 to at Alexi Wasser, include your email address, your Instagram handle. And, uh, and then I will see you. I'll send you an email with all the information and I'll see you at uh, girls night in. Anyway, all that aside, I am going to wrap this intro up and throw us over to my conversation with writer, brilliant British man who listened to all of my bullshit and stories uh, about the other British guy in my life, and I'm so appreciative of both of them, Sam Bain. I like it so I look at this all day. I won't. You won't! I'll talk to you. So. Okay, well, let's just get into it so we don't spoil any boring stuff. Okay. And then I'll cut out anything you say that you feel you don't want to share. With people. Alright. I'll be wearing headphones. You won't be. Oh, yeah. Do you want me to move that? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just gonna take it out of the thing because. I'm just trying to pretend it's not there if you don't mind. What? Do you want me to really hold it? You have to hold it. I for know. For like an hour. I know. Can I honestly not do that? Because it made me feel like I'm. I know. Like I'm trying to be like Tom Jones or something. Wait a minute. Okay, well, just hold it for a second. <laughs> Let me make sure the sound is working. No, you're my second guest. Oh, so embarrassing. I had a studio. Can you handle this? Hi. I felt like I'm on Dick Cavett. Although they didn't hold microphones on Dick Cavett. <laughs> they didn't even do it then? So what's the comparison? No. Uh, okay, fine. 
I feel like we should have an audience if we're holding microphones. I can call a friend. I only have one. <laughs> oh, God. I know. You're my, you're my second guest who's like, seriously? We're doing this? I'll probably forget about it in about 15, 20 minutes. About holding it, you mean? Yeah. You can put it in that thing. Oh, God. There's a hard piece. I don't piece. want to, like... Make it sound bad. So whatever is good for you, it's fine. I mean, I'm going to get lavaliers. They're $18. I didn't want to make the investment, but maybe now I think I should. <laughs> God. So I have these mic stands and listen, thanks for being part of this artistic process as I figure out. Okay, this. I'll go with it. I'll roll with it. Okay. It's not like your other podcasts where you like the, the grief podcast. I have not listened to that one yet. What and is I just it? won best podcast the uk podcast awards it did yeah i'm furious it went to number one in the itunes chart for the uk not okay not your competition please i'm gonna have to edit all this out this is ridiculous um so you're coming from los feliz you say yeah riveting podcast fodder this is great (laughs) (laughs) um all right we have to tell everybody out there in the ether how we met uh we met walking around silver lake wait and are you cozy yeah, I'm comfortable. Are you sure? Yeah. That's your free water. You have your water. Okay, good. So, yeah. So, what is this walking thing we met on? Just so people feel like they're included in part of our lives. Um, It's a hipster walking group. Is it really? You would call it that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to sort of upgrade myself to hipster level. Is that an upgrade or is that like just Urban Outfitters? I think Target's selling hipster culture now, right? Isn't that embarrassing? Well, you know, I'm... I'm a 47-year-old man, so being classed as a hipster would be definitely a big deal for me. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's a hipster walking thing. And how did you get involved in the hipster? Are we allowed to say it's Alex Karpovsky's hipster walking? Well, you just did, yeah. um, I'll bleep it out. He organizes it. Yeah. And that's how we met. And it's cool. You just walk around Silver Lake for two hours, up lots of stairs and down lots of stairs, and look at great views and talk to cool people. Yeah. But you're talking about me, right? Yeah, people. Okay. Not just good. you. Oh, I know, but you know, this is my podcast. How dare you? God. Um, and then you went the other day and I didn't go. And then what happened? Lots of shit talking behind my back? Yeah. What? I did. No, I did express your um, sorrow to Alex. You couldn't be there. But you know, it was a normal routine. We went for a walk and went for dinner afterwards. And yeah. What can I tell you? God. How many people? It wasn't that big this week. It was like only about 10. Only 10? Yeah. Was Bob there? Bob Whitey was there. Bob was there. All right. Because I went when, the, when I first met you. That was my first time going. It was like, how many people? Like 20 people. Yeah. Everybody was very stylish, very handsome, very cool, us included. And, uh, and then I went back for the second one, thought you were going to be there. It was like five people, all wow. men, all men except for me. And then everybody thought it would be really funny to make like murder and rape jokes to me, being like, oh, yeah, Alexi, we're going to lure you into the woods. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> oh, no wonder you didn't go back. Oh, yeah, maybe that's why I didn't go back. You think I would with my history, my past. My, 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 I'm, sur- I'm surprised I missed one after that. But, um, but I'm glad you're here. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. Um, I mean, I guess I just want to know everything about you. <laughs> this is going to be a deep exploration into you. Okay, well, you know, I'm an open book. Up to a point. <laughs> Wait, where are you from? Because I'm dating a British man now, so... Well, I feel I'm like... from Britain, yeah. I'm from London. Right. You're from London. Yeah. Just proper, just London. You were born just there? Just London. I was born in London, or well, Greater London, like suburbs, Twickenham, which will mean nothing to most people, but a lot to people from Twickenham. Okay. Well, that's good for the shout out to... <laughs> what's that now? Twick- Twickenham? Twickenham, yeah. Okay. No, I was... Brought up there and lived there all my life, really. And then I've sort of been in L.A. for a year or so. 
on and off. And what brought you here? Well, two things, really. Work and my wife, Wendy, who's a big fan of California, wanted to move here anyway, but work was obviously a big draw. Yeah. My goodness. I need to know all of it. Okay. But your family was... Make sure this is recording or else I'll feel horrible. Yes, everything's going according to plan. It's fantastic. Okay. But, uh, and your family, like your mom and your dad are writers, right? Well, my mom uh, was an actress and my dad was a director. Um, but my, I do come from, from a bit of a lineage. My granddad was a comedian and a, a comic writer. My grandmother was an actress in Faulty Towers, the famous sitcom. She was? She was. Your grandma? Yeah, she's one of the old ladies who live in the hotel. Oh, my God. Miss Gatsby. So this is in your blood? Yeah, pretty much. Sitcoms and comedy and TV and all that. Yeah, I remember I had a fling with a British guy years ago, and then the next morning, it was after, it was New Year's Eve, and uh, we woke up on New Year's Day, and then he made me watch Faulty Towers. He was shocked I'd never seen it, and that was my education that year. What did you... Thing. I loved it. It's great. I thought right? it was great. It was the coziest thing to just be binge watching Faulty Towers, just like with some, you know. It's still funny. I mean, it's yeah. a masterpiece. Oh my God. So this is in your blood. You were meant to be doing this. Yeah, I guess that would be fair to say it's in my blood. Yeah. Yeah. But then how old were you when you started writing? Because I had Charlie McDowell on here. And I remember he told me he's uh, Malcolm McDowell and uh, Mary Steenburgen's son. And for a long time, he was like running. He always wanted to write and direct but he was running from it because it was in his family and he right. thought, oh, i got to do everything but, so... Yeah, that makes sense. No, for me, it was university, college. I went to Manchester University and did a creative writing course in 1991 and that got me, you know, hooked on writing. I haven't really stopped since then. Yeah. Is it difficult for you? Like, do you ever get... Writing. You know, what is your whole, like, what's your routine? How do you do it? You're so prolific. You, I think you might be the smartest, funniest person ever on my yeah, podcast. I would agree with that. Yeah. I have not listened to any other episodes apart from you and Alex okay. dissecting your relationship, which was fun. <laughs> I know. What did you think about that? <laughs> I thought it was great. It's great to have people go over one evening in such forensic detail. Because we're both so neurotic, too. That's and what so he said. Yeah. Uh, wait, on the walk or on the podcast? He said that to me on the walk about you. You're both so neurotic, it would make a good combination. He hasn't listened to it yet. He never listened to it. Oh, wait, what else did you guys talk about on the, on just, the walk? That was, that was mainly it. I'm actually seeing him later tonight, so I was going to, you know, carry on the conversation then. Really? Yeah, we're going to see a movie. Doesn't he? What movie? Deadpool American too? Animals. American Animals? Oh, I mean, is that like the uh, the Harvard Lampoon? No, it's a new film. hasn't come out yet. Bart Layton directed it. Oh. It's produced by Darren Sessinger, who's a friend of mine, did Four Lions. Oh, all it's right. It's like a doc- drama documentary, but I haven't seen it yet. So yeah, well. I'll let's come back. I'll come back later. Okay. But wait, so wait, did he say that, uh, that we wouldn't... Uh, we wouldn't. We weren't good for each other because we're so See, neurotic. The thing now is that I'm. We're dissecting a conversation that I had about you dissecting your. I mean, where does this going to end? This is my favorite. Is this, is this what they mean by, by meta? Is this meta? Oh, it was wow. a brief exchange. You weren't, frankly, talks about at such <sighs> length. I'm sorry to tell God you. God damn it! Oh well. But uh, all right, back to you. I guess we'll talk about you and your life anyway. <laughs> but uh, okay, so you're living your life. Wait, by the way. Oh yeah. <laughs> You asked about writing. Yeah, look, writing is not easy, I would say, in general. I think I'd be lying the saying if it was. But I have been doing it long enough that I sort of, I have a routine and I have a groove that I can get into if need be. Yeah. 
What's this groove all about? Well, you know, I I keep very kind of accountant hours. I try and do a nine to five. You do? Yeah. I mean, where are these ideas coming from? You're so prolific. I'm looking at all the things you're doing. I, I was like, I couldn't believe this. And, you know, the, the guy I'm dating, he, you know, he... Uh, he loves you. He thinks you're fantastic. He loved oh, your. Nice. Then you did a children's show too. I did a few, yeah, early days. Yeah, so you do things for children and and adults, and it's like, uh, you know, that, that I don't feel like not everybody does that. That's a rarity. I don't know because uh, so I want to know how you tap into your mind and what the difference is between those approaches too. Yeah, I mean, is there? Well, writing for kids was really useful for me and Jesse when we started writing because getting any kind of work in TV is a big deal when you're starting out yeah and writing for kids is a great lesson in how to write because it forces you to think visually oh you, if you write something for a kid show and it has a visual element comedy is going to really be that much more effective for the audience but that's also true for adults you know whenever they do a top 10 funniest moments on peep show pretty much 10 of them are physical comedy Oh, really? Well, yeah, it's just the language that people can really get behind, I think. Yeah. You think it's more so for kids because you can't inundate them with, like, yeah, erotic... Yeah, I mean, verbal jokes will work up to a point, but if you're writing a, a scene for a kid's sitcom, you don't want just endless dialogue. Yeah. You know, and, but that is also true for adults. I don't think there's a huge amount of difference, actually. But, oh, really? But it forced me to think visually, which for any screenwriter is really helpful, I think. Yeah. What are the other differences, do you think? Um, it's been a while. I haven't written for kids TV for about 18 years, so I'm having to think back. But, um, I think mainly you want to, the same rules apply on the whole, but you'd obviously don't want to make things too complicated and confusing for a kid's show. That's important. Yeah. And you want to hit some really simple emotional, strong emotional beats. You know, one of the best shows I worked on was a show called Tracy Beaker, which was about kids who are in care. And that was a really fun show to work on because the it was a comedy, but the emotion was so near the surface that it was easy to write for. Yeah. Well, let's go back to you're in school. You take his creative writing class. Mm-hmm. And then I want to, like, when did you meet your writing partner? At that class. You met. did? Yeah, we met in the class. Oh, my God. We didn't write together for about five years, though. Um, but we met and became friends and we shared a house for a year. And what was it about? It was just your, you being your best friend? You guys were best friends? We were very close friends from the start, which is great to have a career with one of your best friends. But what, what was so good about us as a partnership, I say was because we're not writing together much at the moment, but hopefully we will again. Are you still friends? Very much so. We, yeah. we have a production company and we do have a script that we've written, which we're hoping to shoot this year or next. Which one? It's kind of under wraps. We haven't really okay. announced it, but it's something we've been working on for about 10 years. But, you know, we are very similar, but we're very different, and that's the perfect combination. Yeah. So he's, you know, from Shropshire, he's from the countryside, I'm from the big city. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he he just has a different personality to me, obviously, because he's a different person. But we have a very similar sense of humour, we have a very similar work ethic, which is really important, because if you're any kind of partnership you'll know that having a different work ethic can be the easiest way to crash and burn because you don't want to feel like you're doing more work than your friend because that's a cause of resentment. And we had similar sort of attitude to work and wanted to enjoy it, but we took it seriously at the same time. So it meant we could work together pretty much every day for 20 years. 
So wait, what was it about him though that you took to immediately? Like, what was it with a moment where he? Did he invite He's you a party? very funny and very smart. Yeah. And I think we always, we never run out of things to talk about in like 20, 25 years, you know, because there's always some, something about our minds together just creates some great friction and great fun. Can you just look at each other without saying anything and you know exactly what you two are thinking? Pretty much. Do you, is he married? He is, yeah. Do your wives like each other? Yeah. And you oh, know, thank God. Thank <laughs> yeah. God. Um, but it, it is a very, it is a strangely intimate thing being a writing partner over so many years because. You do spend a lot of time together. Yeah. You spend maybe sometimes eight hours a day in the same room. Do either of your wives ever get irritated or jealous by your relationship with one another? I don't think so, because it's a very positive relationship, and obviously they're happy that we're making money and doing well. (laughs) You can move to Los Feliz. This is fantastic. Wait, does he live in America? No. Oh, my God. What are you going to do? Well, exactly. But he is making a show here in New York. He's doing this amazing HBO series called Succession, which is about to come out. Just him. is he directing? He just he wrote it. He created. He's a showrunner. Yeah. And you're okay with that? <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with it. <laughs> Look, when we started writing solo, it, it was a difficult period because obviously we had um, a very familiar routine, and everything became different. And my my fear was that he would become incredibly successful, and I'd become a complete failure. But that, thankfully, hasn't happened. Oh, my goodness. That's so honest. Yeah. Yeah, because that's right. Because when you're together, no one really knows who's responsible for what, right? Yeah. So when you go solo, you're more exposed. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I wish him well, but up to a point. But really, I mean, let's get real here. I didn't yeah. want to, like, just be a complete zero and him be a complete hero, you know. But luckily, that hasn't worked <laughs> out like yeah. that. Didn't you write, uh, what is this, Corporate Animals? And, uh, yeah, yeah. I've that's got, just you, right? Yeah, that's just me. And That's not the thing under wraps though, right? No, that's not under wraps. That's, that's been announced. And I did um, a series on Showtime last year on what, my own. What's that called? Ill Behavior with Lizzie Kaplan. Oh, she's great. She is great. Oh, my goodness. Who is she dating? None of our business. She's married. She is? Tom Riley, who's also in the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Where have I been? Where have you been? Living under a rock. Not even walking. <laughs> You're not even going on a hipster walk just in here. Burning candles. But it was a huge relief that we both, you know, had things taking off around the same time. Yeah. You don't want to feel like, you know, you're doing way better or way worse than your partner. Yeah. Can, and, but do you prefer writing with a partner? It's very different. In some ways I do, I do uh, miss it and quite heartbreakingly occasionally I tell him that I miss him, which for an English person is quite hard to do. I know. Aren't, we, aren't you all supposed to be very cold? And Extremely cold, very repressed, very why? uncomfortable. Why is that? Is that true? I think it's the climate. Probably. But then what, 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 but if you're a British person who moves to uh, California, then you don't have to be that. Then yeah, you're not I'm like, meant... I'm like the kind of, you know, the acceptable face of the British person. But the classic British person in their natural environment is a frigid, frozen, you know, hand cellular and carbonite emotionally of a person. This is true. I can't believe this. Exclusive. <laughs> I don't want to scare you about your current relationship. What should I know? He's obviously in America too, so he's probably a cool dude. I Yeah, I think so. I'm definitely more expressive than him, but I might be right. more expressive than anybody. But you want that. You want a bit of difference in a relationship, right? Yeah, I do. I do. Like if he was more expressive than you, that, you'd be expressing all over each other. It's too much expression all over me. Get it, it's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks. How dare you? Yeah. And he's quiet too. He's yeah. much more quiet than I. Is that how your wife is? Wait, no, but who's more quiet? You're your wife. Well... That's a whole different relationship. Well, we'll get to... Yeah, I want to know all about that, <laughs> if you don't mind. But yeah, I mean, um, me and Jesse do miss each other, and I do miss writing with him because it is so much fun. However, 
there are benefits of writing on your own. For for a start, no one tells you what to do. Yeah. Or, or cuts what you've written or changes it, which oh, is nice. But you guys have the same taste, so that's less yeah, likely to happen. But you know, when you're writing a partnership, you do have to submit to the fact that you might send in a draft and he might say, I don't like any of this, or he might rewrite it and make it better. You have to deal with that on a daily basis, which I don't have to deal with anymore. Yeah. Um but, you know, there's also lots of fun to be had. So it's, it's swing, it swings from roundabouts. Is it know. like therapy, too? Do you talk about your feelings all the time with your friend? Well, that's an interesting question because sort of not really. I guess, I don't think Jess would mind me saying I'm probably more the type of person who would talk about their feelings in the relationship. I'm kind of like the wife in the relationship. Thank God you're here on my couch right now. This is exactly what I need. I'm never going to miss a walk again <laughs> if I get an invite. But we didn't really talk about, so we don't really sort of have those heart-to-hearts. I mean, we do, but not. Not so much, but I think it's probably really healthy for the writing because my opinion, what happened is when we write together, all that emotion gets sublimated into the characters. Oh. So it comes out in a much more creative way than just having a chat. Yeah. Oh, thank God. You don't waste it in the chat. You know, and if you look at Peep Show, which is the thing we wrote most, you've got two people, you know, with very different emotional um, vocabularies going at it for half an hour. And that, that's kind of where we put our energy, I think. Who is you and who is Jesse? Well, it's not really that simple, Alexis. Come on. Oh, it's did you just call me writing. Alexis? Did you call me Alexis? Yeah. It's Alexi. I'm so sorry. I can't believe you. Can we edit that bit out? No. <laughs> this is a raw, honest podcast. You do have two S's in your surname. I probably just brought one over. I have no S's. In your surname. In my surname, Alexi Celine Wasser. And I have a lisp, too. Yeah, so... I'm. You're I'm, great. I'm, Listen, you're... You're I'm like, apologetic because people, no one likes having their name got wrong. You're a comedic genius. You do as you want. It's fine. <laughs> I just, uh, anyway. You must oh. have had that before once or twice in your life. I mean, not from Mana having on my podcast in my home. <laughs> All I've been thinking about is you for hours, for days. <laughs> and here you come. Anyway, um, <clears throat> listen, where do we go from here? <laughs> I don't know. No, okay, so, so it's not as simple as that. You can't say who. No, you are who Jesse is, but you know, it's um, you know, I guess we can always imagine those characters as being sort of extrovert meets introvert, the two sides of anyone's personality. Yeah, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Well, I think I'm a bit of both, which is probably quite useful when you're a writer because essentially, I think writing is extroversion for introverts. Oh, yeah. You know, you sit in your room on your own all day, but you want the whole world to read what you've written and think you're amazing, which is quite extrovert. Yeah, you can be, you can be seen through your writing, yeah, and feel less alone and connect to people and stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and you have to have a bit of an extrovert in you to get your stuff out there. There are people who write and are too afraid of showing anything they write to anyone, and that's not really going to help yeah. much, you know? How did Peep Show happen? How did that come to... Like, well, we were, we'd been writing together... Um, for five or so years, Alexi. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and then we just was developing, we were developing an idea with Andrew O'Connor, who's the exec producer of the show, and he had an idea for doing um, a comedy show with two actors talking over TV clips. And we already had a pre-existing relationship with Mission Web, and we thought we could write the characters for them, and then we expanded the TV clips idea to include seeing their whole life from their point of view with their voiceover. So that became the show, really. Oh. Okay. Has there ever been a movie or a TV show just done with imagery and then the voice in people's heads? 
I think we were the first to combine the two. Obviously, there are lots of voiceovers in films, and there was at least one film I can think of, The Lady in the Lake. The Lady in the Lake? Alan Ladd, where he plays Philip Marlowe, and it's all from his point of view. And it's all in his head. It's all just voiceover and no actual people talking to each other? No, it's dialogue, but the whole thing is shot POV, I think, from his point of view. Oh, okay. But is this the only kind of show? You invented this technique, though, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't want to sound... No, this is exciting. And you're yeah, on my I couch. Guess. <laughs> I, guess, I guess it is. it was made the show quite different, which really helps Yeah. when you're trying to get something made. This has nothing to do with that, but how did you meet Alex Karpovsky? Oh, through Bob. Bob Whitey. So Bob directs Kirby Enthusiasm and he's directed documentaries and movies and he just invited me he met me through Peep Show because he was a fan and came to set when we were shooting in London when he was in London we kept in touch and he lives in LA and invited me to the walk yeah I love him yeah he's he's the best yeah you were my two favorite people on the walk oh good I couldn't believe it. I kept bopping back and forth between you two just being like oh my god I want to pick your brains it's fantastic and then other people would talk to me and I'd be like get out of here I am scray I bet, I bet Bob wouldn't get your name wrong He's not that kind of guy. He isn't that kind of guy. He's more thoughtful. Mm, I don't know. But the second time I hung out with him, uh, he'd watched my short film, was making fun of me. And I was like, uh, you're an award-winning uh, this and that. Both of you are. I was, like, I was like, I am so sensitive. I will crumble if you brilliant man start making fun of my eight-minute short film that I, you know, yes, it is a Vimeo. It was an award. <laughs> It did give him your staff pick, but you know I'm not. I can't. I can't be attacked by uh, by Bob. I was just like, and yeah. Anyway, but then he said he felt so cozy. He felt like we're a family that he could tease me. But uh, I, I'm not ready for that right now. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Anyway, so you're living your life. <laughs> you have, yeah, that's that's fair. I'm living my life. You have your wait. And are you happier here than you were in London? That's a big question. Happier. Oh um, God. Right now. It's California. I mean, what's not to like, right? Yeah. And work's going well, better than I expected. That's nice. Yeah. And I got nice plagues. My wife's happy. Yeah, I'm pretty happy. Is that one of your goals, that, you, that your wife is happy all the time yeah, as like a man? Yeah, probably number one. How, how, okay, this is something I'm noticing about uh, British men, all two I've ever met in my entire life, maybe three, but the, the guy on New Year's Day from years ago who showed me faulty t- towers does not count because I barely know him. But anyway, um... Is that just a British thing where uh, your goal is... I'm so sorry, by the way. You guys can't see. Sam is... <laughs> Sam is adjusting the unnecessarily long uh, microphone cord. Oh, my God. Anyway, I got to get lavaliers. But is that the goal of a good man, of a good British man, to his number one priority is keeping the woman in his life happy? I don't really know, but I would have thought that if you're married, that has to be a big priority, right? That's the whole point of marriage, isn't it? I hope so. I mean, yeah, I guess so. But it's funny because this person that I that I who's in my life right now, or this man that I'm dating, he says these things. He's like, I was like, what makes you happy? He's like, I want you to be happy, and he's and I believe him. It's so interesting. Everything he does is to make me happy, and I'm just like, that's nice. Yeah, and I'm just trying to like accept it and like it and Good. not second guess it and not go mental and go down his Instagram and look at all the cute girls who he may follow or follow him and go to don't their... Don't do that. Don't do that. It's ridiculous. They so, call that pain shopping. It's pain... Who calls it that? I just heard that once. Oh my God. It is pain shopping. It's like a just like a breeding ground for insecurities and jealousy. There's enough of that already. You don't need more. Yeah, I think so. So I'm just trying to like... 
and let things be good. He sounds nice. That sounds promising. Yeah. We're going to go to Two Bunch Palms. It's getting a little inside right now. <laughs> I just wanted to hang out with you and talk to you. Uh, well, he likes Peep Show. I like him already. Yeah, he's fantastic. Oh, he loves Peep Show? He, he knew more. I mean, he was really telling me what to talk to you about. And I was like, really? You're going to tell me how to interview him? And really, that's immediately I'm just going down the list of things he told me to ask you. But uh, yeah, and he, and he, let, he loved your, your children's show. Oh, that's nice. I mean, I know there are more than one. I can't remember the name, but he was freaking out over it. But you got my name wrong, so I can't remember that. Yeah, I'm never going to live that down. Wait, really. what, was, what was the children's show? You tell uh, me. I did a few. My parents, aliens. Tracy Beaker, the Queen's nose. The Queen's nose. He was like the Queen's nose. His entire face lit up. You know, his, his usually cold, <laughs> calm, collected face, British face. He was like, oh, I can't believe it. I didn't know he did that too. So, uh, yeah, but he's a good guy. We're gonna go to Two Bunch Palms. Have you been there? No. We're gonna go there. It's like I think Al Capone used to live there or nice. started created this place it's got like all this history and it's this beautiful place in the desert like on in palm springs so we're going to go there for the memorial day weekend or something very cool yeah but uh how did you meet your wife oh we met at a buddhist center you did yeah oh my god i can't wait to get into all this (laughs) you're not leaving until i'm done with you i'm kind of ring you dry you've got to put up with all of this which buddhist center buddhist center well, it was in London. I was living there and I was assisting the teacher and she came as a punter. What? Yeah. When was this? Wait a minute. This is before Peep Show? No, this is during Peep Show. Oh my God. Wait. Let's get this. Uh, how did this happen? How did you end up doing that? Well, I just really got into meditation and then I just moved into this Buddhist commune. It's not, it's not, it's not like everybody else is doing this. Let's say so casually. Like, this is what everybody does. Well, I mean... It's just a simple fact. It's a simple fact, but what got you to that place? Were you unhappy or what were you searching for? Um, you know, I was experiencing human suffering like everyone. I'm always experiencing human suffering. There you go. You think, what kind of human suffering? None of my business. Tell me to fuck off. It's too much. <laughs> and I'll edit anything out. You know, just um, mental pain. Yeah. My eyes just lit up. You guys can't <laughs> see. It's just like I'm trying to connect to Sam so intensely. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Well, you know, craving, anger, disappointment, just general confusion. Oh, that's why, you're, go so, on? That's why you're so funny. <laughs> Fuck. Why didn't I put them together? Of course, that's why you're so funny and the most brilliant man in the entire world. Because, yeah, you're experiencing lots of suffering. But I'm not different about anyone else. But I did, th- I did try meditating and I really took to it. I really got the bug. So I did a few retreats and then I thought, well, I'm single I don't have a property of mine. I'm, I'll move into this Buddhist center and I'll make a go of it as a lifestyle. Yeah. Well, what got you into meditating to begin with? Like who brought that to you or what? I went to a class in East London to a Buddhist center at lunchtime and did an hour's meditation class. But how did you even hear about it? I just looked it up. You just looked it up. W on the World Wide Web. <laughs> it might have been, been pre-web. It was like 1999. I probably had dial-up networking. 1999 you did this? 1999, yeah. Oh, my God. So you're in your 20s, right? Yeah, I was like 28, 29 when I started. Were you going through a heartbreak or any kind of breakup thing? Um, you really want to get in there, don't you? I do. I'm sorry. That I told you. No, you fe- feel so free to ask. I will ask and then just say no <laughs> or whatever you want. Yeah, to. I was like, you know, I was suffering. But also I was trying to write professionally and I, me and Jesse were starting to um, get some work and I realized that my concentration wasn't really that great and I kind of realized that if I couldn't focus I probably wouldn't be able to make it to the level I wanted to as a writer so I thought well I need to do something about this 
Maybe I'll try meditating. Do you not drink? I don't drink anymore. I stopped when I became a Buddhist. I haven't drunk since about 2001. Oh, my goodness. And what is it? The Buddhists don't drink alcohol? Well, no, it's not every Buddhist, but there are some who take vows like I did not to drink. And that was one thing. Yeah. It was just part of the lifestyle. And I haven't really ever missed it. So I never started again. Yeah. And why do you think you couldn't focus just because your brain was... Or you were thinking so much? Well, you know you know, it's hard to concentrate, right? To focus yeah. on something. Everyone who's trying to write anything has probably experienced that. Yeah. So the thing about writing, I think it can be quite challenging because it makes you, forces you to just be with yourself. And experiencing your mind and your thoughts in an unvarnished way can be quite a shock because you sort of realise that maybe your brain isn't going to be an easily driven vehicle that's going to veer off the road. Yeah. So I was trying to get my hands on the steering wheel. Hey, did you ever get into Ramdas? I know him. He's like a lovely guy. I never really got into him, but I know who he is. Yeah. Did you ever read like Marianne Williamson or Return to Love or uh, those kind that. of books? Oh, God. I've read a, quite a few, but not that one. God, there's a Buddhist guy who, who spoke. He's, I went to this Ramdas retreat. I, I don't know how I ended up there. I went with somebody. And, uh, oh, God, I can't remember his name. And he's, he's uh, this is not going to help any of us, but I almost want to find his name. To, to, I want you to tell me if you know this person. I'm only looking at my phone because he's in, uh, do you mind that I do this? <laughs> I need to meditate more, clearly. You got your name wrong. You can do anything you like. I know. It's true. You're serious. Um, here, I'm very into uh, my... To be fair, I mean, I've never met an Alexi before. I've met a few Alexises. Well, this is your Does first Alexi. Help? Yes, you, you weren't ready. To meet your first Alexi, and now you've settled into it, um, and you're ready, and you know my name properly. This person, do you know who? Is there a bit of music over this band? <laughs> you I mean, I'll, I'll edit it out. I will, I'll try to. Jack Cornfield. Yeah, I've read some of his books. Yeah, I love him. I think he's so fantastic. He's a dude, right? He's a guy, yeah. He's a great guy. He did a book called After the Ecstasy, The Laundry, which is a good title. What is it called? After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. Oh, my goodness. It's really about kind of living your life after the high of, say, doing a retreat, then getting back to reality and how do you live that life. Yeah, and how do you live that life? Well, like, read the book. Okay, all right. <laughs> but listen, okay. That's so, a big question. That's why I was being facetious. Sorry. No, no, you're not. I'm just trying to track all of this and try, all these thoughts and feelings I want to ask you about. So you're suffering. You, you have a, you, you're starting to get successful as a writer. Yeah. Your mind is wandering. Mm-hmm. Go to a Buddhist retreat. Yeah. You become a Buddhist. Yes. You really went full throttle. Do you teach this too? I did for a while, not very well. Where? In a library in Kensington. In Kensington? Do you do it in Los Angeles? I, I don't really do it anymore, so no, I don't teach here. All right. Well, that was like a slap in the face. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there are apps now anyway. You don't need teachers. You've got apps. Which one? I'm not going to advertise them. Mm. They're not paying me anything. But just Google meditation apps, you'll get about five. That's not the same as a Buddhist teaching. I use Insight Timer and I use Headspace. There you go. There are two apps. Others are available. What What is your daily routine like? Because yeah, like I just feel like writing for me brings me the most joy in the entire world. And this oh, is a that's question. Nice. And this is a question for anybody who's a writer, and or if they use the phrase aspiring writer, which I don't understand. Just call yourself a writer. But uh, like, yeah, what is your daily routine? Because I feel like. It's so hard for me to just sit down. I'll do everything but. I'll do everything but. And then I hate myself and then I beat myself up and it's another day. I didn't do anything. But then when you lock into it, 
then you feel so good if you're lucky enough to log into it. So what do you do? What's That's your... exactly what I do. Really? We just, well, pretty much. I mean, you know, we all do that. No one's a perfect writing machine. You can just sit down and just pump it out for 10 hours. We all have ways of avoiding it because it is quite difficult. Um, but I just, I just try and be gentle with myself, you know, Yeah. while still getting stuff done. That's yeah. the crucial combination. Yeah, that's the most difficult thing. What does that look like, though? Well, I've just been doing it so long. Like, for me, it's almost like a muscle that, you know, is quite well trained. So I just sit at my desk all day, and eventually it gets done. No Adderall. Can I tell you? No coffee? I drink tea by the kind of pint load. You do? I don't drink any coffee or drink alcohol, no. But I think life is probably... But nobody ever said their life got worse after stopping drinking alcohol. That's true. I, I just, I didn't have an alcohol problem, although saying that makes me sound like I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I didn't. I promise. I prom- I believe you. But um, when I stopped, because the reason I stopped because I can't meditate with a hangover and I couldn't ever meditate any other time than the first thing in the morning, so the two never worked together. But when I stopped drinking, I never realized how little I enjoyed it. <laughs> Until I stopped and I was like, why would I do that anymore? That, I don't really like it. Yeah. So I'm just not do it again. I don't want to do it anymore either. Well, then don't. I won't. I, I mean, I stopped for a little bit and then I started again and then I, Sunday I drank no more. So I've got, what am I, five days in? I, but I already feel like, the thing I like about dating this person, not that that's why you're here, but uh, to tell you all these things, but I like that I don't feel the need to drink with him. I like being sober with him. I like being very present. It's just, all the signs are positive. Hey, all the signs are positive. Yeah. But so you met your wife yeah. at a Buddhist center. center. Yeah. And you walk up to her. Well, how does that go? We had a bagel after the class. You locked eyes and had a bagel? I mean, how did you approach her? I want the details. I just saw her all again and I checked her out and she saw me checking her out. And then we had a bagel. You did? Where'd you find the bagel? <laughs> I made them. We had bagels ready after the class to persuade people to hang around and chat. And... How long did you guys date for before you proposed? We dated for two years before we got married. Yeah. So we got married in 2007. And what was it about her that made you go, this is a woman for me? Well, she's just, you know, she's my soulmate. She's the love of my life. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, you know, she's my greatest teacher. She's my best friend. She's hot. She's hot, too? <laughs> and she's she's like one of those people who is finds it totally... Um, possible to be anything other than honest. She's a very direct person, which I really like, and she's just very evolved. She's and she's different. We're very different to each other temperamentally, which I think is probably a good thing. And what is that? How she's more emotional than me. She's more emotional than you, but you're very emotional. Well, I'm more emotional than Jesse, my partner. Wendy's more emotional than me, my yeah. wife. So I'm kind of like in the middle. Yeah, it depends who you're talking to, how emotional I am. And also you can be sensitive, but not emotional. It means you can hold it in and feel all the feelings, but not necessarily like emote those feelings, right? Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of, you know, couples, we found things in each other that we didn't have in ourselves, but we also had a lot in common as well. So I think that's, to me, that's the perfect cocktail. Do you laugh all the time? Yeah, we do laugh a lot. Who's, does she make you laugh? Yeah, she's very funny. She's an actress and writer and she's very funny and she's actually got a play which she wrote, comedy play. She's going to be at the Hollywood Fringe. Oh, really? In a couple of weeks. Oh, my God. I want to go to that. You should come. It's called Old Frenemies. It's playing at the um, 
Stephanie Fury Theatre in Larchmont. I'll be there. That's exciting. She's starring in it and she wrote it. It's really funny. Oh my God. Is it just her? Or is that, is no, no, she's got a cast of four people, five people in total, I think. Who directed it? Justin Anthony Long's the director and the cast are really funny, mixture of Aussies, British, Americans. So yeah, it's, it's good. I'll go even though, even though there are Australians in it, I'll still go. I did in Australia for five years and... That never needs to happen again. <laughs> Sorry. I'm half Australian. No, you're not. Yeah, my dad was Australian. Really? Yeah. That's probably the side that mispronounced my name. The evil side. Oh, no. Do you get along with your parents? Are they still around? Well, I would do, but they're both dead. Oh, God. <laughs> this is better. If I had a lavalier, I wouldn't be able to drop the mic. <laughs> but I got with them when they were breathing. You did? Did you have a healthy, nice upbringing? Well, you know, yeah, right. up to a point. I mean, I'm not, you know, Paul McCartney. I'm not perfect. What? I just think of him as like the nicest man in the world. Is he? He seems that way. I bet there's something there. I bet that's not true. <laughs> Do you think? I bet he did something weird. Probably, I was going to make some horrible joke. I don't want to do that. I met him once, very briefly. You did? He was sweet. All right, then I believe you. Have you ever met Gary Shandling? No, but I did see him talk to Ram Dass on that interview. You did? In that documentary, they have a Skype call. I, I haven't seen part two yet. Yeah, it's in I part ha- two. I have to watch part two. It makes Ram Dass laugh with a joke. He does? About meditation. Ugh. I love him. Yeah, it's a good film. You, oh, so... I watched the first half of that again with the other British man in my life. There's you and this other British man. You're my platonic I friend. This guy. You're gonna love. It. I'm gonna bring him. Great. I'm gonna bring him to the play. He's fantastic. Please. He wants to go on the walk, and I said Alex Karpovsky wouldn't let him go on the walk. I bet. That's true. He's a very mean and cruel man. That is exactly what I said to the man I'm dating. He went, "What am I going to go on the walk?" I went, "Oh, you're not going on the walk. You're not. It's never going to happen." I'm Alex. sure Alex wouldn't mind. I bet he would mind. Actually, so the more the merrier. He's always saying. Is he really saying that? Yeah, because I said I would. I want to bring one someone. And he said, "Fine." I didn't even tell him who it was. He didn't care. Yeah, but that's different. You're like probably like a mentor. Mm. Cool. I think you're overthinking it. Just bring him. You're right. Me overthinking. There's a thought. <laughs> Another one. Okay, anyway. Um, yeah, I'm going to bring him to the play. Um, so how do you guys balance? Like, So she's writing, she's acting. Have yeah. you guys worked together? We have, um, we have done, yeah. And she's got a, um, a part in this film I'm shooting next month. Oh, really? Yeah. Is, that, is it ever like awkward or bizarre or uncomfortable? Or do you guys, f- like, uh, is it a lovely balance? It's a good balance, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. No, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, so take me through your day then. Well, you know, I'd sit down at my desk at, like, 9 o'clock, and then i write, and then i have lunch, and then i write some more, and at 5 o'clock i stop. You stop, and then maybe you go on a hipster walk. <laughs> maybe go on a hipster walk, And don't yeah. you want, Aren't you going to be directing at some point, too? People keep asking me that. I, I thought you wanted why. to. Uh, maybe I will, but it seems like a quite a lot of work. Really? Well, it's long hours, and I like to focus on the writing, but maybe at some point I will. Yeah. My goodness. Did you ever get into... Yes? I'm very lucky because I have great relationships with directors. Like, I've got these two films um, with two directors who I just love hanging out with, so I'd be sad if they weren't around, you know. Patrick Bryce for... Patrick Bryce for the Corporate Animals film and then Jamie Babbitt for The Stand-In. How did you meet both these people? 
Um, Patrick I met because I was developing that film with the producer Mike Falbo, who works with Ed Helms at their company, Pacific Electric. And Mike suggested Patrick early on for the film, so we got on Skype and he'd seen Peep Show and I'd seen his film The Overnight, so we already had a good respect for each other and then we just got on very well and it's been a fun two years developing the film. And when are you going to shoot it? Next month in Santa Fe. Oh, you are. And are you going to be on set the entire time? Yeah, and one thing that will amuse you is there is a cast member who I um, cast after we met on that walk. Who? She's called Jennifer Kim. Jennifer Kim. She's, She's an actress, very funny actress, who's in Search Party and other shows and films. Oh, my God. Those two, the creators of that show, have been on my podcast. They're two of my good friends. Oh, Char- yeah. Charles Rogers... And uh, Sarah Violet Bliss. It's a great it's show. It's a great show. And she's a really nice person. So I met her and she, she'd already been on our list because the part was written as Korean-American. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, yeah, you're really nice as well as being funny. And I sort of subtly checked out her availability. So what are you up to in June? Yeah. And she was seemed free. So. Well, that's good. The rest is history. But you're gonna, but you're gonna be there the entire time. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, and why do you like to be there the entire time? Well, on a practical level, what's unusual about this film is due to scheduling and everything, we don't have any rehearsal time at all. Yeah, and there's a big cast, and I need to make sure that the dialogue and the story fits all the actors who have half of which I've never seen them even read the part. Really? Yeah, because half of them are offers, and we've only had one table read, and half of them couldn't be there. So. What? Yeah. Oh my God, who are these monsters? Yeah, right. They're just busy, successful, funny people. They're right? not doing anything. They're not doing anything. I mean, <laughs> so I need to be there for that. And also, like, it's fun, you know. I think it'd be kind of sad to just write the script, do the hard work for two and a half years, and then let everyone else have the party. Yeah. You can't do that. No. Wait, isn't Sharon Stone in that too? Sharon Stone's, yeah. She's playing, like, the biggest part, probably. Have you met her? Yeah, I met her a few times. Tell me what that was like, can you? You should interview her. She's, she gives a good interview. She does? I heard her on Mark Maron. I yeah. think he seems scared. Yeah, she, was, she is quite intense. I love her, but he seems scared. She seemed like a badass. I was like, God, who is this? The sexy vixen I you know, want to be. She's kind of a legend, you know, and yeah. she doesn't disappoint. Um, I find her quite an exciting presence, and she definitely doesn't mind being charismatic and being the center of attention. Yeah. She's good if you're a star. Yeah. <laughs> You think? Oh, goodness. Yeah, so we've had a few meetings. and just She, she just seems really up for it, which is very gratifying. Uh, the thing she said right at the start when she said yes to the part was that she liked the fact that the character had no redeeming qualities. Oh, how, oh it's so nice for a woman to play that yeah. because they don't let women play that. No, I know. So I was really pleased because that was the whole idea to write a part for an older actress who was just a complete nightmare yeah. woman from start to finish. You have so much freedom. It's so fun. Yeah. Men are allowed to play those characters all the time. Even like Robert Downey Jr. You'll see him in a movie. He's horrible. He's disgusting. He does one tiny thing that's kind of charming, but he's like this charming rascal. And then it's this movie for millions and millions of dollars. But if you're to make a, mo- a movie with a woman like that, you'd be like, what? She's not likable. Why? Where's yeah. the... Yeah. Unheard of. So she clearly is fearless, as you can see by watching her films. So yeah. She doesn't care about any of that. And what is this movie about? Oh, so it's about a group of colleagues, office colleagues, who go on a team building weekend to Santa Fe, New Mexico, to the desert. And they go caving and get trapped for a week with no food or water. Oh, my goodness. 
And she's like the boss of the company. So it's low budget, one location, kind of. Yeah, they're building a cave as we speak out yeah. of polystyrene. Are they really? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So Patrick Bryce, the director, he's quite famous for doing very contained films like his film The Overnight, which he shot in like 10 days is in one house yeah, with four characters. So he seemed like the perfect fit for this. And yeah, I think it should be fun, hopefully. Is there a secret to that, do you think, with, with the director who's done that before? Like, is there a way to be a master of the one location? Like, what, what do you have to do or know? Or I th- That's a good question, which Patrick Girls a lot better than me. I think probably you have to be... Not, you have to embrace the restrictions. Like, okay, we have limited time, we have limited space, we're going to just you know, make the most of what we have and obviously have great actors you can trust to nail it yeah. without too many takes because you don't really have endless time to hang around and do endless takes. And, yeah, just be able to visually make it interesting. We've got a great um, camera team and DOP, Taryn Anderson. And, um, yeah, I think you just have to be creative with it. Did you ever get? This has nothing to do with that. Did you ever get into psychedelics or drugs or anything when you're like a teenager? What kind of wild teen were you? Were you at discotheques or what are you up to? Uh, well, I was in Manchester during the sort of rave period. <gasps> so were I went you? To the Hacienda and took ecstasy. You did? Yeah. Get out. Who are you? I don't even know you anymore. <laughs> I've only met you twice. Okay. Um, <laughs> you did? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was that like? Not for you. You just did no, it. No, I really enjoyed it. You did. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone hasn't tried it, MDMA is really good fun. Am I allowed to say that? You said it. You've well, already it's said good it. Quality. And you do it in moderation. I did something called MDA. Is that like a? It's like MDMA, but it's supposed to leave you with less of a hangover or something, or take not affect your serotonin so intensely. Nice. It was fine. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I took a bit of mushrooms and acid. Why do you ask? I just want to know. I just want to know what you got up to. This is, I'm just a deep dive into you. Yeah, you know, um, I like to dance. I like to go dancing. Yeah. Raving, you know, whatever. I'm up for it. You are. (laughs) That'll be the sound bite for this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I like to get out. Get out there. Oh, God. Are you happy now in your life? Yeah, thanks for asking. I just want to know, because you never know, because I'm listening to all these things. I'm listening to, like, I've already forgotten his name again, the Buddhist guy. Jack Cornfield. Jack Cornfield. I'm listening to him. I'm listening to this woman, Marianne Williamson. I'm listening, you know, uh, what else? I, I like this person called Abraham Hicks, which is kind of this bizarre thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Abraham Hicks. No. It was just another, I, I don't know, I, uh, was this woman named Esther, and she apparently channels this essence called... Abraham, this is already going all over the place. I don't even feel comfortable talking about this, but I listen to all these things because I'm searching. What does it all mean? We're born here. You know, we're just going to die at some point. We leave this body. We're souls. Like, I just, I don't know. So I ask if you're happy and if you got into psychedelic, like while you're on this earth and you're this prolific. Well, I mean, look, psychedelics, I did enjoy. I wouldn't say they solved anything. They definitely opened my mind up a little bit. Uh, look, happiness is a big concept. I think that it's unrealistic to um, to think that you could ever cure your life of suffering. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Well, you need the contrast too. It's not that you need it. It's just you haven't got any choice. Oh, yeah. It just comes at you whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, to quote the Princess Bride, life is pain. Anyone who tells you differently is trying to sell you something. 
So there is an element of truth to that. Ethan Nickturn really escape it. Ethan Nickturn wrote a book called the, the Dharma of the Princess Bride. Do you know who that is? No, but I like the film. Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. And that's, I guess, the first noble truth of Buddhism is life is suffering. You know, so to to say that I'm happy and and everything is not to say that life is not suffering because it is for everyone to some degree or another. We're podcasting. Sorry about that. But I'm also very fortunate and I have a good life. Yeah. And focusing on being grateful and positive is important to me. What do you wish you knew, like, when you were younger that would have helped make Um, your life easier, your mood better, and your suffering less? That's a good question. New is a funny word, though, because I don't think real wisdom you can just kind of be told or learn you have to experience stuff and come out the other side as a different person yeah so it's hard to think because everything i am is the result of everything i've experienced you know yeah without sounding too self-involved no that makes sense i was listening to this thing the other day and they say that when you're when you're a child when you're born there's all this noise going on. Oh, God. Nightmare. When you're younger, you know everything. You know so much because you're not tainted. You, you, don't, you don't have all this stuff put upon you. Or you don't like... Uh, and you, you know everything when you're, when you're uh, fresh and new to the earth. And then you know everything when you're older because you've also had all the experience. So it's both ends of the spectrum where it's like, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going with them all over the place. But... Uh, yeah. It sounds like you're asking yourself some big questions. I guess so. I've just been listening to all these things lately just because I make myself suffer so much and I'm like so in my head. So I've been trying to meditate more and I've just been trying to like let things be good. And uh, yeah, and I guess I'm completely obsessed lately with like the bigger the bigger questions of things. But well, yeah. Do you think you worry too much? I think I do. I think, but I had like a weird childhood where I was like taught that people are sinister or or I always have to be ready for the worst or I'm like always have to be defensive and reactive and like and I don't want to think that way anymore like I just want things to be good and I don't want to what's so trust trust issues with people like you don't trust people maybe so well only the people closest to me or like you know people I would date or something and I'm, yes but I'm kind of sick of that and I'm trying to let go of that and it's so boring and it's exhausting so I'm trying to try it a new way so I'm like that's why I'm completely into Buddhism and well, good for you. It's not easy to rewire yourself, but yeah. it can be done. Yeah. Um, my God. It's supposed to be a funny podcast sometimes, but uh, this is very different from the Alex Korpowski podcast. Goodness. Um, yikes. Well, I did want to ask you more stuff. And then you'll get out of here. What are you doing after this? I'm going to meet Alex. You are? I told you. We're going I didn't to see know. That film. Oh, I thought it was later on tonight. Well, it is later on tonight, but I don't know how long we're going to be talking for. That's so. true. And Eon, you're never, you're never getting out of here. I'm going to, I'm going to cobble you like misery. I don't have a deadline. <laughs> oh God. Um, who are all your influences? Like when you were younger, and you were like before you started doing anything, when you started writing, what were you watching? What movies were you watching? What were you reading that made you go, oh, I love these people? Well, I was always obsessed with American films, really. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, I was a film buff from early teenager and um, comedy wise you know I guess Steve Martin and Woody Allen were my heroes when I got a bit older it was like Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld yeah um, yeah and just uh, Airplane Spinal Tap all the classics yeah those were the kind of my lodestar and when, how would you oh god 
if you had to refer to your own style, these people out there talking, don't they know we're podcasting? Who the fuck do these animals think they are? <laughs> um, how would you ex- like explain your style, which is so unique? Um, well, I guess I like to write character-driven comedy. I guess dark comedy or black comedy is also probably fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's about how I'd sum it up. And in Peep Show, when you're in, you know, in, the, in the characters' minds and you're hearing their internal dialogue or whatever, what they're, what they're thinking and feeling, is that what's going on in your brain? Or had it been? Like when, when you needed to meditate, was it because you had a constant inner uh, monologue happening? Well, you know, one of the initiating experiences that led to Peep Show was I, my, one of my first um, meditation retreats, which was a silent 10-day retreat. And I remember being quite shocked at the insanity and absurdity of my inner life, my inner voices. And that definitely went into, you know, writing Peep Show. The idea of the voiceovers was kind of like, me and Jesse both thought there was an untapped source of humour in the ridiculous voice or voices inside one's head. So in a certain way, Peep Show is a Buddhist sitcom or came around at the same time for me as the meditation. Yeah. Because it's only got me looking at that a bit more deeply, the inner life of the person, the person being me, obviously. Yeah. Wait, so is there more neurotic, if, if, if there's more neuroses, in, uh, is that from coming from you? Because I know you said it's, it's, a, it's a creative show, it's not necessarily yes. you. Or, but, but are you the more neurotic person? Um, well, I think you Jesse? What... You know, as a writer, when you ever you write anything, you have a sort of crazy assumption that other people will be able to relate to what you write, and that's particularly um, particularly apposite in terms of picture because when you write someone's thoughts, you're hoping that the thoughts you're writing, which obviously are inspired to some extent by your own thoughts, will relate to someone else's. Um, but I think the fact that so many people seem to love the show shows that that assumption was correct. Yeah. That there is a kind of absurdity and a, and a insanity in the inner life of the human being, which is universal. And that's an incredibly gratifying thing to find out. Yeah, that you're not alone. Right. Yeah. Which is the point of art for yeah. me and comedy is to make that bridge between people. Because one of the times you feel most alone, or I do, is in my own head... But then if you can create comedy from that, which millions of people can enjoy, that's kind of extraordinarily amazing. Yeah. What are the voices in your head like now? Is it much quieter? They're quite quiet because I'm talking, so I can't really hear them. Do they get louder though when you're just walking down the street? Well, yeah, because then I'm not listening to myself talk. When I leave this, I'll probably be thinking about all the things that I should have said differently or what I could have said better or the fact that I got your name wrong will probably bug me for about a month. Well, now I really can't. It's a runner. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. When you leave, I'm going to go, it was so boring. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's so smart and talented. And then I'm just asking these questions. Were there too many pauses? Were there not enough pauses? Yeah, He's a Buddhist. The, 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 certainly, the so, socially, the analysis of the situation kicks in about one second after the door shuts. Can't we, let's just be okay with it. Who cares? It's a fucking podcast. It doesn't matter. I think we're both great. <laughs> I'm just happy we get to spend time together. Does she really believe that? Why is she saying that? Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, God. It's hard, isn't it? It is hard. 
But when since you're married now, at least you don't have to worry about like when you were dating. I mean, did you have a bunch of girlfriends? <laughs> I've dated. I've had relationships. <laughs> did you ever like... A bunch of girlfriends sounds like a bunch of grapes you're picking off. A bunch of girlfriends. That's how I think it is for you. <laughs> like um, a bunch of bananas. Well, oh, he's reaching for his water. Here we go. Okay. Lube it up. All right. Um, but in the, I just feel like the, some of the scariest parts of intimacy, and I know we're jumping all over the place, whatever. What can you do? This is what it is today, I guess. Uh, is when you're like silent in the morning. You're not drunk anymore. Not that you're necessarily drunk. But let's say you're a teenager or you're in your early 20s. You haven't stopped drinking yet. You're with somebody. You're waking up in the morning. And it's even more intimate than if you were to have had sex with them or you're making out. Because at least you can silence the voices in your head and hide in that. And you're in the morning and you're next to somebody. And it's just like, that's when I've always felt like voices in my head are the loudest. Where it's like, oh my God. Just being in silence and with an, a person you don't know very well and sharing silence with someone. Is that when you run out the door? I used to. I had all these voices in my head going, men hate women. You got to get out of here. He wants you gone. Oh, wow. Like, which are horrible. Because then I'm like, I am a woman. It's horrible to have all these mean voices directed at me. It's honest. I'm sure people can relate to that. Well, no, I mean, it's, it is honest. And I think that, you know, certainly making those assumptions that people you just met is a very human thing to do. But it's you know, best avoided if you can be... You know, hopeful that someone's a good person before you judge them. Yeah, that experience. That's what I'm trying to do now. I'm like, assume the best. Yeah. And I'm more. Yeah. Oh, but were you like that when you're like when you're? Did you have intense voices in your head in, in those moments of like you know girl crazy or insecurities with girls? Oh, for sure. You know, and being a teenage boy was kind of a hellscape because I didn't really have any confidence. You didn't. No. And yeah, I had to be this supposed confident man that you're supposed to think you are as a teenager. And that just was really hard. Oh, yeah. Because there was like nothing in the tank. There's nothing in your tank? Is it full now? <laughs> no, it's pretty full. But for a few years, there was like, I was reaching into my well of courage and confidence. And there was like, I came up empty. I remember that experience quite vividly. What happened? What day? Well, like, you know, with a woman or a girl aged, I'm talking about age 14, 15, you know, that kind of That's Those age, are the ages, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And like, now I've got to make the move. Now I've got to be the guy. And I, there was like, the, you know, I went to switch the engine on and nothing, there's so nothing there. What'd you do? Just, sputter, just wimp out. out. No, just wimp out. Just crumble like, a, like an old cake. Oh, God. <laughs> but that's one of the things where it's like showing people the voices in someone's head. Because we always, you know, uh, you have the voices in your head and you can have a complete me mental and emotional breakdown happening in your head. But then you have to front with this exterior oh, yeah. where you're like, I'm calm, cool. I mean, I can't do that. I just I just say everything that's in my brain, which is horrible for other people and for me. Entertaining, though, sometimes. Sometimes it is. I try to make it charming, at least. I try to keep it, like, upbeat and silly and fun. <laughs> um, but who made up that rule where you have to front? Who decided that? Is, yeah, that's a social thing, isn't it? Because no one could cope with being too honest all the time. I don't know. But yeah, that, that I remember with some horror. <laughs> Obviously, it got, it got a lot easier over time. But, um, but yeah, those voices, self-critical voices are something which can really destroy a person's you know, life if you're not careful. 
your parents didn't teach you? What did your dad teach you? Oh, well, I mean, being a British man, what are you taught as a kid well, with I girls? Well, I didn't really have a dad because he died when I was like 10 and a half. When you were 10 and a half? Yeah, so oh, I didn't really I'm have sorry. like a male role model to speak of. You didn't? No. What, did your mom have boyfriends after? Not really. Like, she did when I was like 17, 18, and he wasn't really much use. Yeah. So I didn't really have a lot in terms of like male role models. So it's probably harder for me not wanting to sound self-pitying Mm-mm. than for some boys who had a dad. How did you know you were so funny? Well, I didn't really. I just, when I started writing, I just naturally wrote comedy. I don't quite know why. It just was, because it's the way I think. Do you think men strive to be super successful to get a great woman? Or is that just an LA? That's a good question. I definitely noticed when I became successful, when I got my first agent, I was a lot more confident with women. Really? Like almost overnight. I knew it. But it wasn't like something I was planning. It wasn't like why I was doing it, which I know is probably the reason why a lot of guys go into bands or whatever, because they think they're going to be sexy and hot. It's not really the same thing with sitcom writing. (laughs) Because I think there's a whole episode of Seinfeld where George... Costanza thinks he's going to be sexy as a sitcom writer and doesn't work. It's not really the way you'd think, but it did definitely have that impact on me because obviously it gave me a lot more confidence and to feel like what I was doing, which was a lot of times felt like a complete pipe dream, like that, are you serious? You're going to write funny things and you're going to get money? Who are you trying to kid? What a ridiculous dream. But when it became a reality, it was quite a game-changing feeling of like, oh, maybe I can actually do stuff Maybe I could operate the world in the world as a competent human. That was quite a nice yeah. feeling, to say the least. So then you got your inner confidence. You got confident from being for being validated that you're doing something good. Yeah, that you're good at something you do. Yeah. And then did the women come towards you because you were so magnetic, or did you just feel like you could go towards women because you're like, yeah, hey, I had, I had, I had pot- more. I had something in the tank. What was your uh, God? You had something in that tank. That's great. <laughs> And, and then when you had stuff in the tank, what was your move? Oh, you were already married probably, right? Uh, I was, I'm talking like I was 25, 26 yeah. at this point. And what does it matter for women? Because I feel like uh, nowadays it's so confusing for women where it's like women feel the same way where it's like, oh, if we're very successful, it's just so confusing now. But thank God you're married and you've got all this stuff. Well, if you're successful, you're going to turn men off. Is that what you're going to say? No, I feel like like as a woman, I need to be making a lot of money or successful to attract a man. To attract a man. Because I think I have a masculine identity. In my head, I feel, even though I'm really girly, I feel like I'm super feminine. But then I have something in my brain where it's like, oh, I have to make a lot of money and I have to be doing something of note or something cool that that is interesting and, and successful at it to attract a man and then I mm. kind of learn more and more I'm like maybe that isn't always the case so I feel like because I feel like sometimes I, mean, I don't think that no what do you think, think I'm generalizing let's generalize like a general yes but I don't think men care about how much money or success you have on the whole if you're someone who's doing what they enjoy and are happy that's much more attractive than necessarily having lots of material success but that's it just it might just be just me so what's the secret of, uh, of, of a wonderful, lasting relationship? Or what do I need to do to, to make sure I don't fuck this up in my life? Sounds like you're doing all the right things. Yeah. I mean, honesty is incredibly important. Yeah. Someone once told me that you can't have intimacy without honesty, and I think that's very true. Yeah. So... I can't not be honest. And obviously, 
being compassionate, considerate, patient, tolerant, loving, those are all crucial, right? Because yeah. life is hard and people tread on each other's toes all the time and you have to keep surrendering what you think you want or what you think you need and letting someone else have what they need, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, how did you woo your wife? Can I ask you how you, got, how you proposed or is that too personal? Because you really um, don't have to share anything you don't want to, but I like to ask that question. We, I proposed to her in a, in a wood in Wales by a waterfall. She's Welsh. And it was a kind of a romantic, beautiful spot. And she said yes. Mm, yeah. Straight away, which was a relief. Yeah. Was yeah. there ever any doubt? I wasn't really doubt, worried about it, but you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Was that terrifying? No, it was, it was kind of exciting. And why do, why do men want to be married? Because I have this, I, I, to get rid of that, that, you know, that voice in my head that thinks maybe they don't want to. I don't even believe that anymore, by the way. I'm much healthier. I got to stop well, even tuning into that. I mean, everyone's different. I think there's something about commitment, which is so public, which is gives you a sense of confidence in each other and you're building something of substance, Yeah, you know, that will kind of carry on maybe for as long as you want it to. And it's the ultimate expression of how you feel about someone, that you want to be committed to them exclusively for the rest of your life. I think it's I think it's very romantic, obviously. Yeah. So you're romantic. Yeah, I'd say so. Thank God. I feel like that's thank God that exists still. Yeah. You must have met romantic men. I'm not the only one. And the man I'm dating is completely romantic. There you go. I just met the two most romantic <laughs> British men in the world. He sounds like quite a catch. He is the most wonderful catch. You yeah. met him on Tinder. I thank you for remembering. Ah! I don't think I've ever even said that on my podcast. I'm asking you about everything. Just really trying to ring you dry and you say one thing about my life. You mispronounce my name and then you out my Tinder story. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, I think I've written about this. But uh, yeah, yeah. I met him on Tinder. My first Tinder date. Well, first. My that's first. Pretty good ra- it's pretty good ratio. I know. I've been on this thing called Raya. Oh, thank What's God that? you're married and not single. What's Raya? Raya is this. It's this. Oh, is it Tinder for famous people? I've heard about this. Does it sound interesting to you? It is disgusting. <laughs> That's hilarious. To yeah. Me. I call it Illuminati Tinder. So is it like scrolling through like Brad Pitt and people like that? I mean, he might be there on the Swipe be. right. I'm actually, he, he seems like he has too much baggage now to me. He lives really close to Angelina Jolie. He's got 20 kids. So you have to like be invited by someone famous to you, be on this. Yeah, you have to be recommended by a friend and a whole board of douchebags of wow. votes, yes or no. And, and then, yeah. And it's just all like famous, rich, or. The elite, basically. The elite. No, that's a t- terrifying thing. It's like just a bunch of fedora wearing DJs, and and then I got to the point where I got so hopeless, I got so disenchanted. I thought I would look at Raya and go, "Well, I guess these are all the single people who exist. Like these are all the options." All these DJs and their fedoras. And I went, "This is all there is for me." And uh, I don't know if I want it. Forget it. I'm gonna Maybe be alone I could learn to like fedora. Yes. The answer is no. Never. Oh God. Do you wear hats? No. Did you ever date any of these people? I'd had like a few like two-monthers. Okay. Where you try somebody on, but it was just like not a good fit or, or I'm like, oh, I guess, you know, I, I dated someone for five years and it was like, I just love like intense romance, passionate, like we're in a love bubble and it's us against the world and it's so intense. Yeah. And then I just, that's what I want. I want a best friend and a passionate person I have, you know, 
can do things with or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Sounds good. And then I didn't find that for a long time. And then, uh, yeah, so I feel like I was dead inside for a bit. And then I met this person and I like him. Dead inside? That's not, not good. Really. I, was, I, think I, I don't think I'm able to be dead inside. I just think I got. A, I was just a little bit disenchanted. Yeah. yeah. I'm just being dramatic and hyperbolic or whatever. But, uh, yeah, this guy seemed nice. So, yeah. I mean. <laughs> What's his name? Are we saying his oh, we name? Can't say that. We can say his name. You can give me a fake name and tell me the real one later. His name is I'll just bleep it, it'll be really funny. You can call him Derek. Let's call him Derek. His name is Derek. But I get so weird on Instagram, I get so jealous that I don't want girls who listen to this podcast to I'm definitely editing this out. Or maybe I should leave it in because it's really relatable because it's so honest. But I'm afraid they'll like look him up and then follow him and then direct message him and then try to mess my thing up. Because my brain goes diabolical. Well, let me join some advice. Yeah, don't do that. Don't think that way. Well, you just need to trust him. Because, you know, he's going to meet women in the what in life. I mean, in the coffee shop and at work and when he tunes his guitar every he does. He doesn't tune a guitar. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, when he tunes his guitar. So you can't protect him from the existence of women. It's never going to happen. Yeah. Unless you literally put him in a sarcophagus and bury him at sea. Is that an option? It is an option, but I wouldn't pursue it. <laughs> no, the funny thing is, because he left my place earlier, and today is the first day where I actually do, not today, but yesterday, because I did all this meditation, I did all this, like, whatever, and I, I just got over it, and I, real, I remembered, I'm in charge of my own happiness. I'm in charge of That's my thoughts. That's the secret. That is the secret. I was trying to make you say that, and you're just keeping it for yourself. Well, no, I'm being paid by the corporation that runs the secret books, and I'm, it's poor that I mentioned that. That's not from the secret. That is basically the secret. Is it really? Yeah, that you choose your own adventure. You, you choose your own adventure, you're in charge of your own thoughts and your happiness. But isn't the secret also like, just imagine it's already it already is, and you manifest that or something? Yeah, I think that's part of the secret. Well, so like... I spun out on him a little bit. I got a little bit jealous and I thought, this yeah. is such ugly behavior. It's, it means I have low self-worth and I don't think I'm great. And well, no. jealousy is really tough. I don't suffer from it myself, but I've got a good friend who does and it, it's like a brain cancer. It can just destroy everything good. Yeah. So I don't think there's like an easy answer just to cure yourself of it. But I think it is really important to try and trust people because there's no reason to think that he's going to be cheating. And yeah. if it's all about him, like... Even if some girl th- threw themselves at him, he still he still has a choice, right? Yeah. So you should just trust that he's going to make the right choice. And I do, and I and something shifted in me where I like listened to all these things, did, whatever yakety schmackety, did all these things, and I saw him yesterday, and it was it was like some kind of thing. My brain just clicked, and I just don't feel that way. I don't right. feel. I couldn't believe it. It just really did shift, and I felt calm. I felt really. I mean, you know, I don't know if can I say this in front of you. I felt very sexy and cool and calm and collected. I just felt very like. Uh, yeah, I just have to trust him. So that was like such a relief for me because it ended my internal suffering. But it was like about it was about like a, a two week thing because I think I realized I like him so much that I became aware like oh my god I like this person now there's something to lose. Oh yeah, but that's, you know that's, that's okay. That's totally natural. Yeah, so I think I just as I like him more, so I went through that phase and let's try to keep him in the healthy spot. But uh, yeah, I don't know. What else do I need to know about you? What else is happening? We got the, We know how you propose. You got your cool friend that you kind of had a work divorce with, but you wish him well and he's still your friend. Will you ever Aww. work together? Oh, God, you look, so. you look so sad work right divorce. That's <laughs> sad. Yeah. We didn't get divorced. We you didn't. We just stopped writing together for the last two and a half years. But we do, like I said, have a film that we wrote 
together we're trying to get made I'd like to write to get, like to write with him again soon but I don't know when that'll happen and then the directing thing so you don't want to direct why do I think you do no I probably do I just be honest tell the truth I've I met you two know. times now we're there yeah, okay I haven't really got any immediate plans but people who ask me about it so I might just have to do it to shut them all up shut them all up but there's nothing inside like what is there anything inside of you that you feel like I have to do this before I transition into uh, I just you know. want to keep you know I'm I'm doing quite a lot of new stuff I'm writing on my own obviously I'm writing a lot more movies than I've ever written before I'm writing in America so I'm learning a lot about that I, I don't want to have to take on too much in terms of directing as well on yeah. top of all that what do you like better TV or movies well right now I'm just focusing on movies because I've done so much TV and it's movies have always been a great passion for me and it's exciting to try and learn a new skill I think it's almost the hardest thing to do to write a comedy feature so I'm, I'm learning that skill set gradually and that's very exciting because it's a new string to my violin yeah do you play any instruments no no you don't sing no I'm not a singer yeah what do you do with your wife for fun when you're not working when you're not well we like hiking and you know cooking and eating and we we like hanging out. Yeah. Well, that's so nice. Yeah. Do you meditate every day? No, I used to. What? Why are you stopping? Why did I stop? I guess because I was probably doing it, like, too much. Oh, really? What's too much? Well, I was at one point I was doing, like, three hours a day or something. Yeah. Three hours, not straight. I wrote a play about meditation, which was on stage last year in London, which you're welcome to read. Which yeah. It's kind of like my manifesto about meditation yeah. for good or ill. I think it's not quite as simple as people would like you to believe. I think it can be a double-edged sword sometimes. I actually weaponize self-help stuff sometimes against myself where I'll be like, I didn't meditate. Oh, my God. Or or I, I don't do... I feel real charged up to do something mm. that's not meditating, that's productive or writing or whatever. But I have to meditate. And then I feel guilty if I don't. And then I'll do too much sometimes and it gets in the way of other stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it can be complicated. It isn't as simple as perhaps it seems. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm living my life. You're living your life. You're going to go hang out with Alice Karpowski. Do you have a bunch of friends in California? I'm getting some, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, people I work with, people... I've met through my wife or whatever. And it's, you know, there are, there are a lot of really cool people here, which is a massive plus because, you know, it's sort of a big new adventure for me. Yeah. LA. And does she have more friends than you or the same amount of friends? You guys have, have separate, <laughs> separate things happening? It's not a competition. I know it's it not. Was, she'd probably be winning. All these kernels of knowledge. It is not a competition. Life is not a competition. But, uh, but because she's doing the play, she's like, she's flourishing. She threw herself out into the world. Yeah. She's only been here for like. I'm really proud of her because it's not. Not an easy thing to write, produce, and star in your own play. But yeah. I think she's doing a great job and it's going really well. Um, I'm just looking forward to getting on set next month with all those amazing actors because not only we've got Sharon Stone and Jennifer Kim, we've got Jessica Williams from The Daily Show. Yeah, I love her. We've got Karen Sony from Deadpool and lots of other things. Oh, yeah. And um, Dan McAdell from Veep and Martha Kelly from Baskets. Yeah. And loads of really cool cool folk and then what happened what about the uh wait that's corporate animals yeah and then what about uh stand-in uh, that's that's drew barrymore 
So what's that all about? Well, that we're shooting that in New York. And then we'll um, land this plane. But yes, but yeah. Yeah, she's not in New York, hopefully, in January. And that's she's playing two parts. She's playing the part of a actress who hates being famous and the stand-in that they've worked together for years and she hires the stand-in to basically impersonate her to avoid her own responsibilities. Yeah. So it's kind of a dysfunctional relationship between two people played by the same person. What made you write this? Well, um... I've always been kind of interested in in fame and the insanity of fame, and I just had a gut feeling that to be as famous as some people are would be like hell on earth. And I kind of thought, well, if it was, how would you escape? You basically can't, but if you if you had someone who looked like you, you could try. Yeah. So that's the concept. And I think Drew responded to it because she, obviously she's had a lot of fame for a lot of years, and probably identifies with some of the feelings of the character who is not happy being famous yeah. doesn't like being a celebrity so yeah it was a fun thing to write and Jamie Babbitt who's the female director is an amazing person yeah. who's been a joy to collaborate with and I really wanted a female director because it's a big female led comedy and I felt that was important you know yeah oh my god can you imagine the jealousy I would feel if I dated such a famous person you make a joke about uh Brad Pitt or whatever being on uh, yeah uh, whatever. If I feel jealous about Instagram and a guy who uh, I'm dating who's not famous, just existing in the world, I don't know how people. I think I would just if have a I would implode. I wouldn't be able to date somebody who's in such demand. Yeah. That would be psychotic and terrifying, just too stressful. Yeah, I think it it warps your whole reality. Yeah, being that famous. I, I just can't really imagine it. I guess it interests me for that reason. Yeah. Ay ay ay! I think we've said everything. Well, it's been really fun. Sorry ha- to get your name wrong. Has it? Oh my god! Well, now I can't cut it out because you just you ended on that. Yeah, you shouldn't cut it out. Everyone <laughs> likes social awkwardness. Should I leave everything in? Yeah, why Ex- not? Except for the bleeping out the name of the guy and what he does. Derek. Derek. Guitarist. I'll leave guitarist Derek's info in there for sure. Oh my goodness! Oh, I do want to know though. Is there anything I should know now that I'm dating a handsome? A uh, sweet, kind, grounded British man like yourself. And now that I have that in my life, uh, any any tips? Um, learn to make a good, good, good cup of tea. Learn to make a good cup of tea. Okay, that would be number one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe don't talk about your feelings all day. Maybe have a few hours off. That what might you, be nice for him. What do we talk about in those moments? Just nothing. Yeah, that's great. Or just like soccer or like what's the weather. We love talking about the weather. You do? Oh, what? yeah. Really? I don't know. <laughs> but just, you know, there's, you know, sometimes you can just, you know, watch telly, as we call it. Oh, or whatever. We don't have to always be getting down into it. To the depths of the... That's what this is for. This is what my podcast is for. I'll leave it with the people I talk to on my podcast. Um, other tips? You know, probably just learning the basics of, you know, British history, kings, queens, parliamentary democracy, Magna Carta, you know, 1066, Churchill. Just get that. He'll respect that and that'll be reassuring for him. Okay. What did you think about the royal wedding? How exciting! Were you excited yeah, at all? Did was, you weep? I did watch some of it. It was quite the pageant. 
I would say, quite the pageant. Is that um, in the pejorative sense? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know what to say about it. It's, I, I was actually, it was quite nice to see so such a fresh, you know, black American take on yeah. royalty. Yeah. That's new. They seem very connected, like they like each other. Yeah, they did seem like they love each other, which is lovely. I wept. Yeah, I couldn't you believe did? it. I didn't care that all of a sudden one day it was happening and I was catching moments and bits and fragments on Instagram and I was like, oh my God, the intense eye contact when they're, you know, you know, doing the vows. I was like, oh, this looks incredible. Yeah. This is what special. I want. This is what I want, Derek. Just kidding. I'll edit that out. Oh God. <laughs> anyway, last, last thing. And then, uh, but why do you love it here so much more than uh, than London? Well, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a life in London if I want that. So it's not like I'm giving up London. I guess I just... Oh, it's know. over for you in London. It's oh, yeah. over. Well, <laughs> unless they don't let me back in. Yeah, it's the land of opportunity, isn't it? America, it's where if you want to write TV comedy or film comedy, come to LA because they make a hell of a lot of it. And so it's exciting for me to get involved with the amazing talent that you have over here. And the fact that it's really warm most of the time doesn't hurt. Yeah, that's true. I know I, you thought we're ending. We're, we're not, though. But okay, so also, how long does it take you between ideas? I'm just trying to think of things. Like, I want to make sure I learn from you before you leave. This is, you know, for me and the audience, but for whatever. It's sure. all one now. But uh, yeah, like, uh, how often do you get new ideas? And like, and do you ever beat yourself up because you, you don't have anything that's inspiring you? Like, how do you... No, I try not to. I try to avoid beating myself up if I can. But where does inspiration come from and how long does it take to get it? Is it always different? What do you do? Well, every project's different. Like, sometimes you get inspired by something you read or a news story and then you have a film idea off that. Other times someone comes to you with an idea or they offer you a job doing a rewrite or there's a, a director who wants to do something about an area you haven't thought about. So... For me, one of the reasons of being in LA is you get to have those conversations, which might be the beginning of a project. I think it's a bit of a of a hard graph to sit in an empty room on your own and just generate brilliant ideas. That's the hard. That's hard. Oh, it is. I don't think that's really the way to do it most of the time. Most of, most of the ideas I've had, obviously with a partner for twenty years, but also as a solo writer, most of the ideas I've had have come out of conversations with creative people you know yeah so i think it's i think people sometimes have an idea about writing like i should be able to sit alone in my room in a vacuum and just generate amazing stuff and i don't really think that's true at all i think that um in my personal experience i've never written anything in 27 years of writing that hasn't had some sort of deadline or some sort of person who's going to read it and give you feedback I couldn't sit down and write something in a vacuum. I just don't think I'd be inspired or motivated or had the sufficient kind of impetus. And I think that people shouldn't be tough on themselves if you're writing to kind of think you ought to be able to do that because I can't and I don't see why you should have to. Yeah. And Nowadays, you're on Instagram, right? Yeah, a little bit. You're on Instagram, you're on Twitter, everybody is. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. Well, two things. What inspires you now, just in general, and and like, and what is your feeling about like Instagram and the and the wormholes that we can all go down? It's it's so new and intense, you know. Yeah, social media is def- definitely a big deal, isn't it? 
It is. It's, an, it's 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 a crazy maker. It's a breeding ground for insecurities, jealousy, all these things. But it's also uh, you can get very inspired. It's super youthful. There are no rules now. It's another platform for storytelling or exchanges of ideas. So I don't know. So it, it I did take. I did have Twitter and Facebook on my phone. I took them off at Christmas. I haven't put them back on yet because Good. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. In, per se but the that that sort of constant scrolling when you just have a like a dead moment yeah and like sometimes scrolling through twitter it's like what am i doing what am i looking for what gives you a hit of dopamine oh, yeah i'm just filling up my brain with you know like a like a mouse hitting a pellet button in a lab yeah so that part of it i think is not good for me but there's lots of positives you know you can make connections with people i've made friends through twitter you know i've met people um, that way, which I would never have met. And you obviously can see a whole different perspective on life if you follow the right people or whatever. But it's a, like a lot of things, it's complex, you know. Yeah. It's not, there's not one, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's how you use it. I yeah, mindfulness. And it can be very distracting. But sometimes I want that, you know. I, I do look at Twitter and Facebook a lot when I'm writing because otherwise it's too hard and lonely. And there's something nice about feeling like there's loads of people out there a lot of writers of friends of mine on Facebook and we're all kind of in the same boat and that's kind of nice. Yeah. You can chat about some stupid nonsense to get you through your eight hours sitting on your own. It is a loneliness eliminator, yeah, totally. Oh my goodness. But then now with what what movies and books and podcasts inspire you? Or where do you get excited? Um, I, just, I just bought a new book which I'm looking forward to oh, reading. Oh my goodness. What is this? He just pulled a book, this book, out of his back pocket. This is the coolest thing you've ever done in your entire life. Forget Peep Show. <laughs> Forget it all. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She's a poet um, from New Zealand called Hera Lindsay Bird. Really funny and great. How would you hear that. about this? Well, on Instagram. There you go. Oh, my God. What a beautiful cover. Is or that Facebook. her? I th- I possibly. She's so beautiful. She's funny and cool. Yeah. So this is something that's inspiring to you. I need to take a photo of that. And then uh, I'm going to send you on your way so you can continue living your life. But you and Alex weren't saying anything mean about me, though, right? It was all nice. It was all upbeat. Well, if I if we had done, I wouldn't tell you. Oh, that's good. But also we didn't. Okay, good. I would like to trust you. <laughs> all right. Well, did you have a nice time on the podcast? Really nice, Alex. You... See? Oh, my God. Do you feel exhausted and gutted? No, I feel... I feel good. I just hope that I said something interesting because you never really know. I think this is a beautiful thing. People who love you, adore you, respect you, want to be you, want to learn from you, they're all listening right now. I'm talking to you guys. And the people who don't care would have switched off about an hour of ago. Of course. They wouldn't even have pressed play. Who cares about those boneheads? <laughs> well, thank you for being on my podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>